it's hard because we misunderstand it. Humility is truth. Humility is trying to find out what is real, what is true in our lives, especially about ourselves. Why is it tough to be humble? Because we lose our focus on Christ and we want it to be about us. Being made for something that you'll never achieve simply because of your own stupidity. I meditate on that a lot. Through my own stupidity, I have deliberately refused to accept God in my life. And so what's left? There's nothing. Again, it goes back to what Father Dennis said, what Father James was saying about the reality of, of humility, humility in seeing as truth. And if we see the truth about God and about ourselves, it, it means that we have to be open to what He has for us, what He wants for us. It is a choice. It is just choosing to do good and avoid evil. That is how we can go to heaven. Yeah. Do good, avoid evil. But many people sometimes feel like, mm -mm, that is, you are pushing it too much. And repent. And repent. That's, yeah. that's a big thing, I think. Yeah. Repent of your past life. That, that's an interesting point because God does not send us to hell. You know, we send ourselves to hell by our actions, mm. by our choices. We send ourselves. Good evening and welcome. I'm Tony Miller with KCDM. Thanks for joining us for this week's episode of Pastor's Perspective. October has been a crazy busy time for the parish. The annual diocesan appeal has begun. The Upon This Rock campaign was announced last weekend at all the masses. And the parish mission is ongoing and just getting started. It's an exciting time to be a Catholic in Des Moines County or Southeast Iowa for that matter. Meanwhile, the church is in the 29th week of Ordinary Time, and we will be previewing the Gospel of Luke for the 30th Sunday of Ordinary Time. Sitting around the table tonight, we have Father Dennis. Welcome. Hi, everyone. Father Mike, you're back. Hello, I'm back. We, I'm missed, we missed you last week. Thank you. I had the flu bug. We, so. we, we only wound up with a, what, what was the show last week? Yeah, it wasn't wasn't the best show ever. It wasn't yeah. a solemnity. It was only a feast. Yeah, almost a memorial level. <laughs> I could have told you that. And, <laughs> and Father James, welcome. Good evening, everyone. <laughs> All right, we're uh, welcome to the show. We're glad you're here. Father Marty is on. Uh, he's having a very difficult time right now at a silent retreat. <laughs> he's being very silent. I hear. <laughs> have you ever made one of those, Father James? A I silent have. retreat. I have. I have. Baden, I, I banned them from my life. A silent <laughs> retreat. Silent retreat. I, yeah. I could see why that would probably be a good. <laughs> it would thing. be a very difficult thing. I don't cool. know. If, I don't know if you could go an hour. I well, I almost. I tried it once. <laughs> <laughs> All right. In our news and notes tonight, how about a little uh, an update on the Upon This Rock campaign, Father James? Yeah. So we've kicked off the Upon This Rock capital campaign last weekend. So it's an opportunity for us you know, to be able to support those priests who have given so much of their lives to us. Those moments of great joys, you know, at baptisms, but also, you know, they're there during those times of darkness for us. You know, with the passing of a loved one, they're in the hospital. 
It's an opportunity for us to be able to give back is allow us to, you know, remember that we're rooted on the rock, that rock of St. Peter and how Bishop Zincula through apostolic succession is part of that rock. Hmm. Okay. Very good. Uh, since Father Marty isn't here, we probably won't get any kind of a financial update. But that's no, fine. no. Still uh, early on. And this Sunday is also World Mission Sunday. And what exactly is the goal of World Mission Sunday? I think it's to take care of the church's wider mission throughout the world, the universal mission of the church in all of the huts and villages and towns and hamlets and cities and metropolitan places, wherever the people of God gather. So it's a, it's a way of emphasizing our obligation and our, our uh, part of the great responsibility that we have to support the church worldwide, especially in places like Tanzania. Right, Father? Yes, sir. So it's, it's, a, it's a part of our celebrating or honoring our evangelization, Absolutely. our mission to evangelize. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah, it is, a, you know, the church by, by nature is missionary. So we, on that Sunday, we emphasize that that's the nature of the church. Right. Mm, okay. Yeah. Very good. And then as of the airing of this show, uh, when it starts Monday night, uh, the parish mission will be uh, getting started. I, I think the first, the first speech will actually be done. It has. We'll have enjoyed fantastic spaghetti. That's right. You know, for dinner. And then the next night, Tuesday night, it's going to be some delicious soup. Last but not least, Wednesday night, they're talking about pork coin. The best part of all, it's free. Come on out. 5.45 to about 6.45 or so. We'll go over to the church from 7 to 7.15 and hear some worship music. And Mike will kick us off at 7.15. All right. And if you uh, if you missed Mike's show on Monday night, uh, make sure you're there on Tuesday and Wednesday for the food and to experience him in person. I, I want to read a little introduction for Mike just so for people who aren't familiar with him. So we can, you can get an idea of what you're missing if you don't go. Uh, Mike Patton, the engaging Cajun, is from Lafayette, Louisiana. He has spent more than 35 years serving the church as a high school teacher, coach, diocesan staff person, and youth minister. Since 2003, he has been a full-time faith horticulturalist, speaking across North America to adults and young people on connecting the Catholic faith to everyday living, and living life faithfully and joyfully. He enjoys many different kinds of music, sports, especially college basketball, which he also coached at one time, watching Comedy Central, and the fact that his job lets him meet cool people from all over North America. When Mike is asked how he likes to be introduced, his response is usually as a man of hope and a struggling disciple of the risen Jesus. If you've watched any of his stuff on the internet or on YouTube, uh, he is a very energetic and funny guy. Try to make it to the church and uh, and be a part of the mission. Any other news and notes, Father James, that we need to... Best of luck to the Notre Dame Nikes volleyball team as they take on their postseason journey. They play Wednesday night at 7 o'clock at the Father Manette Gymnasium. And then if they win there, they're going to play the following Monday night, the 24th. And they'll... The teams that they'll be playing will be de- determined at a later date due to the buy that they have in the first round. Oh, very good. All right, well, let's get us going here tonight. Father Mike, you have our opening prayer? I do. 
In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, we ask you to be with us tonight as we investigate the gospel according to St. Luke. We talk a little bit about the Pharisee and the tax collector and their response to God's grace or lack thereof. Give us the grace, Lord, always to be responsive to your will in all things and grant that we might love you above all. We ask all of this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Father Mike. Tonight, the posse will discuss Luke's gospel for the 30th Sunday of Ordinary Time. And that's chapter 18, verses 9 through 14. Uh, in this reading, Jesus addresses a parable to those convinced of their righteousness and how they will be humbled. And Father Dennis, you are going to read our gospel tonight? Yes. Jesus addressed this parable to those who were convinced of their own righteousness and despised everyone else. Two people went up to the temple area to pray. One was a Pharisee, and the other was a tax collector. The Pharisee took up his position and spoke this prayer to himself. Oh God, I thank you that uh, I am not like the rest of humanity, greedy, dishonest, adulterous, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week, and uh, I pay tithes on my whole income. But uh, the tax collector stood off at a distance, and uh, would not even raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast and prayed, O oh God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, the latter went home justified not the former, for whoever exerts himself will be humbled, and the one who humbles himself will be exalted. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, thank you, Father Dennis. Uh, another short Gospel this week. You betcha. So in this Gospel, when Jesus profiles the two people in the parable, the Pharisee took up his position. That was probably his first mistake. Why is this mentioned specifically? Why is it important that it's in the gospel? You almost think of like other stories he's told where, you know, don't take the, the seat of honor only to be asked like, well, sorry, pal, you're not exactly the person we wanted in that seat. Rather, it's better to sit at a lower seat and to be called up. It's interesting, too, I think, that uh, going back a little bit before that, a couple of phrases before that, that Jesus gave this parable directed especially to those who were convinced of their own righteousness and despised other people. That's the reason for the parable. And our Lord does a beautiful job of showing how wrong they were. The Pharisee kind of represents all of those people in being proud of his position as a Pharisee and as a teacher of the law. And so our Lord is uh, using this uh, as an example that uh, uh, even people in high places can make terrible mistakes in their approach to God. Because mm -hmm. the, the Pharisee's self-absorbed prayer really shows his contempt for the people he is supposed to be shepherding. Right. Especially the tax collector. Uh, does his prayer end by affirming 
that he is doing the bare minimum. He says he fasts and he, he tithes on his full income. So, I mean, the, the last couple of weeks we've talked about doing the bare minimum and just, you know, going to church on Sunday. Um, is there a lesson in the, in this parable for us too? Yeah. Um, if you look at the, this Pharisee, he was a little confident. And in himself, he, he knew that he's a prophet. That is how they looked at themselves, as perfect. So he was convinced really that uh, he was really a perfect person. That is why he just felt like, I fast. I am not like those guys who are greedy. Um, so there is that sense of perfection which was in his mind. But as we see at the end, he was not really... Uh, he didn't even merit what he was thinking about. Mm -hmm. So um, coming back to your question, yeah, Jesus is bringing the idea of humility. That even if whatever you do, do it in humility. If he could do this, which he is doing, plus humility, it could make a lot of sense. But uh, it didn't work like that. You know, Saul's kind of looking at it like, he's kind of saying like, these are all the things I've done. Like me, this is what I myself have done. And he loses the whole picture of loving your neighbor. It's all about him. Right. It's like, come on, man. Like, guess what? Jesus didn't come only to save you, Pharisee. He came to offer salvation for all. It's how do we help others to orient their life towards Christ? Or are we more worried about me and wanting to make sure I got my certain pew spot? And, you know, we got a short homily because, Father, you know, I got to beat that high V breakfast rush, you know? <laughs> Thank you, Father James. <laughs> and, and the God doesn't look how many things you do. No, God looks at your intention at mm -hmm. first. What is your intention to do what you do? Because you can do less and get a lot of graces if you do it in, in humility. And you can get, uh, no, you get more by doing less in humility, but you can get less by doing more with vanity. Right. And like so many other people who are vain, he not only exalts himself, but he puts down the other person, enumerates, enumerates, the sins of other people. I'm not like the rest of men, you know, vain and and adulterous and all dishonest and all that. And then he goes on to talk about how good he is. I think there's a hidden kind of uh, injunction here for the rest of us that we got to be careful. Like all of our Lord's uh, parables, they have a meaning that extend beyond the immediate situation. And I think that that kind of refers to us in the way that we do something of the same thing. We're not as, as blatant as this Pharisee is, but we say, well, hey, I'm a good person. I'm a good person. I do what I'm supposed to do. And then uh, we, we forget that what Father, Father Dennis is talking about, this uh, humility. Humility is a hard virtue. Uh, it's hard because we misunderstand it. Humility is truth. Humility is trying to find out what is real, what is true in our lives, mm -hmm. especially about ourselves. Yeah. And we sometimes are very reluctant to face the real truth. In the past weeks, the Gospels that we talked about, Jesus talks about being a servant, humbling yourself and serving. A Pharisee should be serving the people, not right. lording over them. 
He's really lost his focus as a yeah, Pharisee. Yeah, it is, it is also like now in this world of uh, social media, someone does something maybe which you think is spiritual to the person and you post it on the social media. That I have done this so that everyone might see. So that is a kind of lack of humility because what you do for God should be private. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we are really affected in many ways. And, or sometimes someone can do something to the church or to someone and he tells everybody, you know what? I have done this to this guy. I have done this to this guy. Instead of keeping it to yourself and enjoy that humility, yeah. you lose even the graces which are uh, together with your action. When, when you pray, go into the room, close the door. Yeah. So that you're, you're pray in secret. In secret, body, yeah. right? The church has always been aware of how important this is, and I think part of it is because we priests offend in this way a lot. We may not be as stubborn and as pig-headed as this uh, Pharisee appears to be, or as obvious. But in our own life, when we look at ourselves, sometimes we think more of ourselves than we really should. And it's only in recognizing the truth about ourselves that the glory of the position that we hold comes out. And there used to be a marvelous, marvelous part of the coronation. That's what they called it in those days, the, the uh, administration of the new pope. When the pope used to be crowned, he isn't anymore. He's, he's just installed now. Again, I think a recognition on the part of the church about how the importance of humility. But they wanted to make sure that the new pope was humble. And so they used to they used to fill him with all kinds of wonderful things that exalted him, you know, fancy robes and beautiful music and candles and incense. And they had him on a elevated platform that they used to carry into St. Peter's. And then as he was carried in, they had a young person in front of him who had a bowl of incense and a special kind of, a special kind of, I don't know what it was, but it was something that they put on the incense in the, in the uh, bowl and it flashed an explosion. It wasn't a dangerous thing, but it flashed a great light. Mm-hmm. And then it went out as quickly as it came on. And the man who was standing there doing this looked up at the Pope on this elevated platform, and he said, Sancte Pater, sic transit gloria mundi, which means, Holy Father, thus passes the glory of the world. So don't get, you know, uh, no. a big head, because somehow now you are the Pope, you know. You are the servant of the servants of God. And I think we all can learn from that, you know. Interesting. Nobody's so, done that to me recently. <laughs> <laughs> Um, the, the tax collector truly humbled himself in God's sight. When Jesus says, the latter went home justified, is that the same as forgiven? Or what does he mean by went home justified? To be justified, you know, when you pray, there are the graces you get. So that justification, meaning like his prayers were heard by God. His prayers were received rather than being rejected by this, like this Pharisee. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. So in one kind of Bible quote, um, the idea is that he went down to his house justified, meaning he was considered righteous by God. Yeah. I would say like it's, you see him doing kind of these penitential things, he's striking his breast, kind of like same way in the confederate for us, you know. Through my fault. Yeah, through my fault, through my f- fault, through my most grievous fault. Like, 
we strike our breast as well. And it's this idea that he stood far off. Like he didn't even feel worthy to even, you know, even see God, you know, looking down, but being off at a distance. He's not going like, hey, I want that chair up front. I want that real nice looking <laughs> chair, you know. So maybe there's a lot of Catholics that are like this because the back of the church always fills up first. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I also some examples. For example, in some churches, I have an example where people say that, why do we kneel in the church? We can stand and stay standing from the beginning to the mass. You sit, you stand, you sit, you stand. You don't need to kneel. Oh, it was a big debate. Mm-hmm. But the idea behind is that, that activity of kneeling, mm-hmm. Kneeling in front of Jesus it is a sign of humility. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it humbles you. You feel it that uh, really I need God. Mm-hmm. You feel it especially in your knees. I do anyway. <laughs> but you don't need to if you, you, you are not uh, healthy or you yeah, have some, right. some issues or you cannot kneel a long time like one friend here. <sighs> like something like that. He's a little more seasoned than you are. I'm a little older than you are, so oh. that makes a difference, Father. Yes, gold is, is gold. You yeah, know it is. Gold is gold. Okay, so um, Jesus turned the rolls upside down again. The, you, everybody would think going into this that the Pharisee would be the one who would come out on top and the tax collector would go home humiliated. But in exalting himself, the Pharisee really did the wrong thing. And the tax collector, by humbling himself, was exalted by God. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because even the tax collector, the way the society looked at them, they were like sinners, like people who still man of the people. So they had a bad reputation. They had a bad reputation. But by acknowledging that... Uh, they are really probably not perfect. Yeah, he became perfect and righteous in front of God. So why is it so hard to be humble? Well, I was thinking, like, going back to Father Dennis's piece, like, just thinking today, like, there's not a lot of us that are like, yeah, we love the IRS, yeah! I hope I get a letter from him, you know? We kind of look the same way, like, oh, gosh, tax, you know, the tax man or, you know, IRS. Like, why is it tough to be humble? Mm-hmm. Because we lose our focus on Christ. And we want it to be about us. And so we put up this fake facade in today's world with social media. Like, you want to make it seem like everything everything's perfect in your world. So you put those fancy Photoshopped photos. You put the, the fancy vacation photos. And we try and hide the brokenness that's inside. And so I think, you know, Bishop Zinke said it really good um, at my deacon ordination. In the homily, he said, are you broken enough you know, to follow Christ? Are you willing to be broken and allow Christ to put you together? Mm. Or is your pride, you know, essentially so strong that you're already hardened? You don't have that soft, tender heart. Interesting. And that pride goes all the way back to the very beginning. You know, you go back to Adam and Eve in the garden. And what what did the devil tempt Adam and Eve with first and foremost? Basically, it was... God has given you all these, these, this one rule about not touching the fruit of the tree of good and evil. Not for any other reason other than he doesn't want you to be like him. Well, just the opposite is true. He wants us to be like him. But the, ba- 
best way to be like him is to recognize that we are in total need of him. And so there's this whole business inside of ourselves that we are number one, not God, nobody else. We are wonder one, number one. And that has carried down through generation after generation to us today. Uh, I think even Jesus, right from the beginning of his mission, he was trying to teach even his disciples this idea of humility. Because he knew without humility they could not fulfill right. their mission. And even it applies even to this world now. If in a family there is no humility, life doesn't move. Right. In a working place where there is no humility, life doesn't move. Yeah. I even look at the conflict, wars happening in this world. It is because of lack of humility. Yeah. People mm-hmm. want to show, yeah, I am the one. I can do this. But that is a lack of humility, and in most cases, we end up into trouble. And I think it goes back. Excuse me, Father. I think it goes back to what you originally said about uh, the fact that we don't understand what humility is. Humility is truth. If we see what is true, where it's easier to accept that. But we have a false notion of who we are. I'm sorry, mm-hmm. Father. Well, you just think of like Cain and Abel. Like, yeah, you know, Abel gives the first fruits, and here's Cain. You kind of give him the fatty portion, you know, and feels dejected because, you know, the God didn't accept it. And she's like, how am I going to figure this out? Come on, Abel, let's go out to the field together. I'll take you out. You know, kind of the whole idea of the war and not being able to truly say, you know, you know what? I fell short, Lord. I didn't give you my best. So it really is an internal struggle between our will and God's will. Right. Yes. Very good. Well, that's a good place to stop, I think. That wraps up our discussion of Sunday's Gospel. If you are just tuning in, we are talking with uh, Father Dennis, Father Mike, and Father James and getting their perspectives on uh, the Sunday Gospel. And uh, we're going to start talking about heaven and hell here in a minute. Thanks for tuning in. We're happy you're here. If you like what you hear, tell someone about the show. So the second half of this week's show, we'll, uh, we will continue our discussion and follow up on a previous show and uh, with a discussion of heaven and hell. I I thought about doing a show on each topic, but we kind of talked about it and decided that you can't really talk about one without talking about the other. So here we go. When I started doing some research for the show, I I was looking into, I was wondering how many times heaven and hell are mentioned in the Bible. All right, I'm intrigued. And I didn't, uh, I couldn't find a a Catholic RSV version of the Bible that I could search and get a count. But I did see several uh, sites where the King James Bible, in the King James Bible, uh, heaven is mentioned 377 times in the Old Testament and 255 times in the New Testament. And hell is only mentioned 30 times in the New Testament. That seems like a rather, you know, everybody says, oh, the Bible isn't real and all that kind of stuff. But that seems like a pretty hopeful and optimistic book to me. If heaven is mentioned 10 times more than hell. Let's start with what is heaven? Is heaven real? Does it actually exist? And how do we know? Well, the best way to know is... Christ obviously tells us. So one of the one of the readings that you can pick in a funeral is this idea of, you know, Jesus talking about, you know, in my father's house there are many dwellings, you know, many rooms, there are many places. And Thomas is like, how, how do we know the way? And so Christ lays it out, you know, saying that there is a heaven. 
Now, what does heaven look like? Well, unfortunately, I haven't gotten the blueprints dropped down from heaven yet. You know? <laughs> the Ten Commandments haven't come down from the mountaintop. We're not entirely sure what heaven looks like. You know, we get puzzle pieces, you know, because with our human understanding, it's limited compared to what God has created for us in heaven. And so it's tough to truly know what is in heaven and what does it look like. I generally the catechism of the Catholic Church to get a guidance. This is number uh, 10023. It says, those who die in the God's grace and the friendship and are perfectly purified live forever with Christ. This perfect life with the most holy trinity this communion of life and the love with the Trinity, with the Virgin Mary, the angels, and all the blessed is called heaven. Heaven is the ultimate end and the fulfillment of the deepest human longings, the state of supreme, definitive happiness. So then the flip side of that is, what is hell? Is hell real? Does it exist? And how do we know? Again, we'd probably have to go by the Bible and the references in the Bible about uh, the people, especially there in Matthew. There's quite a few references in Matthew to heaven and hell, uh, fire and brimstone and, and that kind of stuff. Wailing and grinding of w- teeth. Wailing and gnashing of teeth and uh, eternal torment and fire. <laughs> there's a lot of talk of fire, too. Well, if you've ever been burnt, you know how terrible that situation is, just burning your finger. And so if you want to enlarge that, of having your whole being engulfed in fire. But the real, the real pain of hell is the loss of God, being made for something that you'll never achieve simply because of your own stupidity. I meditate on that a lot. Through my own stupidity, I have deliberately refused to accept God in my life. And so what's left? There's nothing. I used to, when I was teaching, I used to use a little, maybe some people call it a trick, but I'd put the word goodness on the board, G-O-O-D-N-E-S-S. And I said, if you take God, G-O-D, out of the word goodness, what do you have? Nothingness. And I think that's so important because we were made for God. We were made in the image of likeness of God for God. And it's constantly uh, announced in the scriptures for us. And so to fail, somebody once said that the only real failure in life is not to achieve salvation. And I think that that can be extremely true. Again, it goes back to what Father Dennis said, what Father James was saying about the reality of, of humility, humility and seeing as truth. And if we see the truth about God and about ourselves, it, it means that we have to be open to what he has for us, what he wants for us. Let me say what the Catechism says about hell. This is 1033. To die in mortal sin without repenting and accepting God's merciful love means remaining separated from him forever by our own free choice. This state of definitive self-exclusion from communion with God and the blessed is called 
have. That's pretty definitive. It is. Mm -hmm. The English word is interesting too. H-E-L-L. In Hebrew, E-L refers to God. It's a word for God, L. H-E has this idea of being without. So hell is a place without God. Yeah, that is what we can use to explain it to anybody who probably, yeah, a sure. place without God. A place without God. Because yeah. in Second in Thessalonians uh, chapter 1, verse 9, uh, they're talking about judgment, and that verse says, They shall suffer the punishment of eternal destruction and ex exclusion from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. Again, that reinforces your idea that, um, and I've heard I've heard hell referred to many times as the absence of God or the separation from God, mm -hmm. and that 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 pain will be like eternal fire, yeah. fire and brimstone, if you will. Yeah. Now, what do you think about like Dante's Inferno? Because he mm -hmm. tries to argue like that the eighth or the ninth level of hell is a frozen wasteland where love, that warmth of love can't even come to. Mm -hmm. So it's intriguing to see like how Dante kind of, you know, is it more of a secular kind of, you know, per se way of looking at hell versus, you know, how Christ talks about hell. Dante talks about the various levels of yeah. hell. And I think that's true. You know, um, everybody's, the people who go to hell will suffer according to their rejection of God. Now, they'll all suffer intensely. Nobody's going to suffer more or less in the sense that my suffering is greater than yours. But it's like the, you know, you have a small glass of water and a big glass of water, and they're both full to the brim. Which one is fuller or more full? They're both full. And that's the way it is in our suffering. Same thing in, in the joys of heaven. You'll have a great saint like Mother Teresa who goes to heaven, and you'll have somebody just kind of slips in, like we talk about all of us hoping. To <laughs> you know? Who is going to enjoy God more? Well, Mother Teresa obviously has got more grace and more reason to have a more fullness, but they're both full according to their capacity. And uh, it's like going to baseball. I don't know much about baseball, but I know people who know a lot about baseball. We both go to a ball game together. I've gone with the priests here. They know more about baseball than I do, maybe more than, than, than Father, than Father Dennis. I but, doubt. Uh, but uh, who enjoys the game more? Well, we both enjoy it. You know, Father, Father Dennis enjoys the game because he's learning it. Father James enjoys the game because he's played it. And I enjoy the game because there's popcorn. I mean, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was. You know, you're talking about like hell, like you had just what, last week or a week before the rich man and Lazarus. Sure. You know, he goes, if only you could have Lazarus dip his finger in water and a drop would hit my tongue. Mm -hmm. The pain, the heat. Mm -hmm. And how, you know, there's that chasm where sure. if you're in hell, you're not going to somehow get a get out a free hell card right. and make it to heaven and vice versa. There are even some people... Who don't like to hear these ways of hell? But why do you? It is like you are terrifying somebody or creating a kind of fear, mm -hmm. something like that. Yeah. But you know, it is a choice. It is a choice. It is just choosing to do good and avoid evil. That is how we can That's the go choice. to heaven. Yeah. Do good, avoid evil. But many people sometimes feel like, mm -mm, that is, you are pushing it too much. And repent. 
And you repent. That's that's a big thing. I think repent of your past life. I think a big thing in today's world is like we want to blame things on other people. We got to be able to look in the mirror ourselves and say like, this is where I've fallen short following Christ. Because so often it's like, well, this happened because that guy over there, you know, Mm -hmm. if he wouldn't have mowed his lawn like that, I wouldn't have got upset having to mow my lawn or. And it's we look, my fault. We look for the Other excuses. People. Yeah. Or like we come in potentially like come to the confessional and for some it's tough to be, you know, to be able to open your hearts and to be honest and say, this is where I've fallen short. And you'll be able to take that time to sit and pray about it. Don't look at the confessional as just something like, well, this is the express lane. I just, you know, get in and get out. But take that time. Truly look at how you've lived your life. And where you've turned away from Christ. Because guess what? Christ is there waiting for you to come back. Mm -hmm. He's ready to welcome you back into his family with open arms. But do we have the humility to come and say that when we've messed up? And and really, to go back to Father Dennis's point about talking about hell and fire and brimstone and, and it ruffling people's feathers, as priests, I mean, you have an obligation to do that, don't you? Isn't your mission to get all your parishioners to heaven? Oh, yes. Isn't, isn't that what you're trying to do? Oh, yes. And, and if they don't understand the, the gravity of the decisions that we're talking about here to, to choose between good and evil, you'll be held accountable for Absolutely. that, won't you? That's the scariness about being a priest, is that we can, we can fall down ourselves and say, well, I don't want to talk about this because some people disagree with me and they might be upset and I don't want to ruffle feathers, you know. Uh, we have to be faithful to the truth. That's what humility is all about. And for a priest, he's got to be faithful to, you know, the main mission of the church is the salvation of souls. That's the church's mission. Yeah. And anything that hinders that, we've got to be leery of that we're not in part of that hindrance, you know. So, yeah, it is even a challenge because if you lose that mission, of leading people to Christ, you lose even your priesthood because you are doing nothing. So that is a really a big challenge that we face in the midst of this world with so many crazy stuff. People will say, oh, why do you say this? I don't have to hear this. It is not your business to tell me what to do. But I am waiting on behalf of Christ to show you the way. So try to be humble enough and they look and they listen, and you you move. I mean, it is hard to go to heaven, yes? yes. But if you know the way, you know how to go there, you have people to help you, it is something possible also. Because we have human beings, we have pops, we have people who are in heaven, even whom we know. So why not me? Why not you? Saying a big thing like for priests, like another challenge is like knowing how much truth, how much water we can get out of that fire hydrant where people are able to drink and understand because so often it can be easy for us to open that puppy wide open and we're just blowing people away and they're just going <laughs> right over their heads and they walk out and they go, what in the world just happened today? Mm-hmm. I got no idea. And it's how do we find that right kind of balancing act where we're, bit, we're able to kind of increase their faith, increase that truth where they're able to consume more of it and not, you know, we don't have a baby and say like, all right, let's, you know, we're pulling the, you know, the whole you know, bathtub water over a you know, child or something like that. Like it's how do we, how do we begin that process 
where we're not overwhelming someone and we're able to walk with them just as Christ did. Mm-hmm. And the Holy Spirit helps us. You know, we these hands have been anointed to do the work of God. And the Holy Spirit helps us do that if we just let him, if we would trust him a little bit more than we do a lot of times. And oftentimes we get overwhelmed uh, mm-hmm. and we get discouraged. Right. You know? and why wouldn't we be discouraged in a world the way it is today? But we have to realize we're not alone. And I think another thing that's very important is that we support each other and help each other in the process, that we do not become enemies of each other or you know, uh, somehow adversaries of, of something other than the brotherhood that is the priesthood of Jesus Christ. So, Just don't take Father Mike's popcorn. He's very serious about it. <laughs> don't take my popcorn. So, <laughs> You're the one that likes popcorn. I'm not the one that likes that so much. So I, I want to turn to Mass a little bit here. Uh, in the Apostles' Creed, we say Jesus descended into hell. Is that the same hell we're talking about here? And why is that important enough that it's mentioned in the creed that Jesus descended into hell? Well, I think there are different names for that. We've already gone through that, I think, haven't we, as far as Hades and, and uh, Sheol and all the rest of that. Jesus did not descend into that place of torment and eternal punishment, but Jesus descended to the realm of the dead in order to release those souls from their captivity and accompany them into the kingdom of God. And so we say he descended into hell and he rose again from the dead. So I think that's important to know. Yeah, I think I read that from the Greek translation, the word Sheol means place of the dead. Yeah. And and that's where people went before Jesus came. Mm-hmm. So So hell hasn't always existed. That's a good question. When, when Jesus came and died for our sins and descended into hell and rose from the dead, that opened the gates to heaven. Mm-hmm. So did that also open the gates to hell? Oh, yeah. It broke open the gates of hell. Yeah, absolutely. People have always been responsible, even before Christ, even before, the, before all of the things that we have been blessed with in our faith. People are always responsible to the natural moral law. They always were responsible to their conscience. Right. And if they deliberately did that and, and persevered in that that lack of obedience, they have they have a debt to pay to God, you know, even before any of the other so-called Christian or Jewish things that we talk about. We see that magnified too in when you were talking about the Pharisee and he was so proud about all the good things that he himself did. You know, we see that today when you have somebody that's a braggadocio and who's always talking about what a wonderful person he is and how many gifts he has and how well he does and all that. There's a natural uh, reluctance for us to be part of that. We don't want to, those people are not our friends, you know. And I think that goes all the way back to the nature of man. Yeah, because this point of heaven or hell, just we go there by our actions. Right. I mean, there is no one even, yeah, there's that judgment, that is true. But your actions will judge you. When you die, this is individual judgment and the final judgment, which will be for all. So by your actions, the situation you die in when you, you leave this world just makes you go to heaven or somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think like another way of saying it too, like, is like your actions begin to form your soul. And so it's going to get to that part where when the good Lord calls us out of this world, 
we will have formed our souls to where we're headed. Kind of the same with the actions. And that goes along with you. A lot of people say, if your God is so good, how can he send anybody to hell? That, that's an interesting point because God does not send us to hell. You know, we send ourselves to hell by our actions, mm-hmm. by our choices. We send ourselves. And so, you know, it's, a, it's an amazing thing. I will never say that I know somebody is definitely going to hell. I, I, I can say, I think, that I know certain people have definitely gone to heaven. The people that, that I've been blessed enough to be with in their last moments. You can kind of, there are certain signs that you can read that shows, you know. Uh, there are certain signs also that you can see that the person is not going in the right direction. You know, mm-hmm. in the last in their last moments here on earth, especially if there's a reluctance, even in what we find this hard to understand, but there's a reluctance to accept God's grace. We don't right. need God, even at the last moment. Now, we've as priests, we've experienced people that you offer them the, the sacraments, and oh, I don't, I don't believe in that stuff anymore. I don't need that stuff, you know. And you think, oh, dear Lord. Just a few minutes, you're going to see God face to face, and I'm giving you a free ticket here, and you don't. Want to. <laughs> but but God wants us to go to heaven. God absolutely. wants us with Him. Absolutely. He doesn't want us to go to hell. That's Correct. right. And that's why there's a struggle sometimes. I don't know if you guys have experienced this, but I have. That uh, where there's a struggle at the last minute in that person's soul between the evil one and between Christ. To, to, to take that person the way because God loves us. He doesn't want to lose us. We are his children. And uh, so he's going he's gonna to put a great struggle there. So. so will more people go to heaven or hell? We don't know. We don't know. We don't have any way to know that. Oh. But I have heard, though, the path to hell is paved with good intentions. <laughs> but like, you also well, hear about Christ like talking about like it's easier for a camel to fit through the eye of a needle. Yeah. So we know it's going to be challenging to make it to heaven, whereas hell, the the barn door's wide open if you want to walk right on it. Oh. Uh, yeah, you mentioned you mentioned the rich man and Lazarus and the chasm that's between heaven and hell. And in Luke chapter 16, verse 26, it describes a great chasm between heaven and Hades or hell. Does the great chasm make it harder to get to heaven? You know, the narrow gate, like you say, the camel through the eye of the needle. Is that chasm specifically designed to make it harder to get to heaven? No. I don't think so. You? No. No. It's there. It's just, there's just a big chasm between the two places. So the chasm happens after the fact? Sure. Okay. Yeah. And something I like on this discussion is when you have a good picture of what is heaven and hell. And really you understand, because this is our focus. This is our vision. That is why we are here discussing these topics and uh, reflecting on the good news, trying to help people to understand all this. The, 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 the focus and the vision is to make people know where we are going and how to go there. Mm-hmm. So the more we know, the more probably we'll be asked because it is different from someone who doesn't know what is hell, what is heaven. But for us, when you have this opportunity to know how to work for heaven, how God wants you to go to heaven, how we are created, I think we need to do more because we know more also. So the more we know about our faith, the easier it is to get to heaven? Oh, I think so, yeah. 
there's more of an inclination in us to want to go to heaven, you know. So much of it depends upon our own desire, mm-hmm. you know. And that's one of the great tragedies of the modern world is we are losing our desire for what is eternal. And I almost also kind of think like analogy, metaphor, however you want to call it. You know, when you're driving at night and it's raining, you don't necessarily see a lot of the raindrops until you come upon that light. Right. You know, but if you're driving during the day, you're going to see all these things. And so often, you know, these saints, they see the blemishes that they have. They see these areas where they've fallen short, following Christ. But oftentimes the people that are, you know, not exactly following Christ to the fullest, it's kind of like they're driving at night and they're not seeing the bug splatters and everything else coming onto the windshield. And it's when we come to the light, we're able to see those imperfections, those areas where we've fallen short. But for many of us, it's a heck of a lot easier just staying in the dark because look, nothing's wrong. I'm driving green. Yeah. One time I was talking to somebody and they were describing mass and talking about heaven and the relationship of, of mass is as close as you can get to heaven on earth. That when you're, when you're at mass and mass is being celebrated, the curtain between heaven and earth is lifted and the angels and the saints come down around the altar and join us and celebrate mass with us. Can you talk about that a little bit? Is that, is that a thing? I've experienced both and I hate to even talk about it. Um, I've experienced utter ecstasy in mass where, where I've almost been able to reach out and touch what you're talking about. I've also experienced great dryness in mass, great uh, distractions in mass. Every, well, the people, in, maybe I shouldn't say this, but the people in the pews don't realize that when we're looking out over that altar, we can see everything that's going on in that church. <laughs> and some of, the, some of it is not too edifying. <laughs> so it can be a great source of distraction. And then there are internal distractions too, you know. Both God and the angels and the saints and the evil one and his demons are active in trying to get us to go in their direction. And so uh, I, I think your image is good. But you got to be very, very careful when you use that. I mean, I think it's true spiritually, but anybody that thinks that they're automatically going to experience the open door to heaven by just going to a regular parish mass is bound for a little disappointment. A disappointment, okay. But it's there. It's there. It can be revealed at times, too. We're getting close to being out of time here, so I can't believe this hour's gone by this fast. Zipping right on along. It, it is. This is a question that I get all the time, or that I hear all the time. Do our dogs and cats go to heaven? Father Dennis, I think, preached on it a few weeks back. Father Dennis, you want to go ahead and... Yeah, I, I did not preach on dogs and cats, but <clears throat> I was uh, trying to elaborate about heaven in relation to that parable of uh, the poor Lazarus and the, the rich man and Abraham and how there was a connection between uh, God and uh, the poor the poor Lazarus, how heaven was an enjoyable place and the other rich man was uh, in trouble and trying to show how as human beings right from creation or the history of salvation is was in, intending to help a human being to know God, to save him, to love him, and to go back to him. So that is how we are. 
So I show them then that Jesus came to us to show us the way and how we can go to heaven. And I showed them that human beings who have the intellect and the will, what Jesus showed us are the ones who have this privilege to go to heaven. So the question was after mass or comments, now what about my pet? What about my dog? So that is something you can discuss about. But what we know from the Catechism of the Catholic Church, what we know from the teachings uh, of the Magisterium, uh, God came to save humankind. So is your pet going to be in heaven with you? Yeah, that's what I want to ask you now. <laughs> I don't have a pet. You don't have a pet? No. Why not? Yeah. I, so don't, this, I don't have a pet either. Well, so this is what Pope Paul VI said. So he was talking to a, a young boy that had lost his dog. He was deeply troubled. So Pope Paul VI tells the child, One day we will see our animals again in the eternity of Christ. Paradise is open to all of God's creatures. Will we see Fido in his form? I don't know. I've heard it both ways. I've heard it that the, the, the animals don't have a will a free will or an intellect and therefore they can't go to heaven. And, and I've heard it the other way where those creatures are companions to man. And so it follows that they could be in heaven. I guess we really have no way of knowing, do we? None of us have gone to heaven and then somehow gotten booted out of heaven to come back. (laughs) Have you ever seen heaven can wait? Uh-uh. where the, the football player is killed in a bicycle accident and the angel goes down and gets him too early. He wasn't supposed to die. And so they try to put him back in somebody else's body. And it's it's a pretty good show. Uh, Warren, <laughs> this, this Warren Beatty. Doesn't sound very Catholic. No, no, it's not. But anyway. All right. Well, that's uh, that's about 55 minutes. So I want to add something, Tom. Okay. Yeah, about this idea of, of, of heaven... It is good people to know that heaven is not like a physical place. It is good to know it is a state. Okay. It is a state where people go with a glorified body, of course, which is not limited to time and space. That's why we have the saints who can, everyone can pray all over the world to one saint, and he can help them being one saint. And... uh, yeah, some people feel like maybe heaven would be, uh, if I have a beautiful house, I will go with it. And uh, if I have maybe a swimming pool, I will go with it. <laughs> if, I mean, something you love. Right. But it is not a physical world as we know it now here on the earth, according to what Jesus showed us. Right. Yeah, because after resurrection, it could be maybe among the, he could enter into the upper room Everything's closed, but Jesus could be there. So it is good to know that it is a state, not a physical world. Will Father Marty be able to play golf in heaven? (laughs) (laughs) Maybe yes. Better be. (laughs) That's good to say. Or maybe he may have to (laughs) play things. We have a ping pong in heaven. Yeah, Yeah, there you go. All right. How do you lose in heaven, though? Do you play ping pong? How do you lose? With the home, with the angels, maybe. Depends right. on your backhand, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, all right, Father James, do you have our closing blessing for you us tonight? Betcha. 
In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you for allowing us to come together to discuss heaven and hell. We pray that you bless our times and allow us to keep our focus on Christ. And in those moments when we lose our focus on Christ, allow us to grow in humility and to come to you in those times of our weakness and to ask for forgiveness, just as the prodigal son did as he came back and you welcomed him with open arms. Give us the humility so we may also come to you when we have fallen short. We ask all of this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Father James. Well, that will do it for this episode. And hopefully we can say that the show didn't go to hell in a handbasket. <laughs> Pastor's perspective for next week, the 31st Sunday in Ordinary Time. We will continue the journey with Luke's Gospel in chapter 19. And we will be piggybacking on the heaven and hell with a discussion of purgatory in honor of All Saints and All Souls Days on November 1st and 2nd. Purgatory always seems to rile up people as they can't even agree on whether it exists or not. Hopefully, we can help get that straightened out next week. So until next week, share the gospel, the good news of God's saving love with those you meet. Go forth and make disciples. If you are not actively practicing your Catholic faith, we invite you to join us at Mass. Consider this a personal invitation. Don't suffer from a separation from God. He's right there in the tabernacle. Get reacquainted. I'd like to thank the priest tonight, Father Mike. Thank you. Thank you. Father Dennis, thank you. Thank you so much. Father James, thank you. Thanks for having us, Tony. Well, I'm glad that you let me come get together around the table and do this. You betcha. This is awesome. I've said it before and I'll say it again. Heaven and hell are both eternal. There are only three things that are important about the final judgment. Location, location, location. Jeez. Stay on the narrow path. The pastor's posse is here to help. I'd also like to thank the listeners for tuning in. Please join us again next week on the radio. Listen on the website at kcdmradio.org or go to tunein.com to listen to the podcast. Thanks for listening and good night. You can hear Pastor's Perspective every evening at 9 o'clock after the rosary on KCDM. You can also pick up the show at 5 p.m. on Saturdays and 2 p.m. on Sundays. KCDM would like to let everyone know that if you haven't had a chance to listen to Pastor's Perspective, the shows are posted on our website, kcdmradio.org, and you can hear Pastor's Perspective anytime you have time to listen to them. Drop into the website and give us a listen. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed the show. 